When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be discussing Fulham's 2-0 win over Cardiff as TC returned. Was it tears in our eyes or was it just the rain? It was hard to tell, but it was a beautiful moment at the Hammersmith end as TC stuck one in from range after 10 months out. A definite return in style for the big man. And also Mitro rounding off a fairly comprehensive win against the out-of-form side from South Wales. Mick McCarthy's still in a job as we speak, but surely it's only a matter of time. It wasn't fully comfortable, though. There's certainly some talking points from the game, but Fulham move up to second after another team from South Wales do us a favour as Swansea beat West Brom and Fulham move into that second-place position. And... Well, it's normally the Thursday club, but we're changing the rules today because it is a Friday, but we still have Peter Rutzler. Hello, Peter. Hey, Sammy. How's it going? Fine, thank you. And replacing Jack Collins, who's on his holidays, it's George Cooper. Hello, George. Hello, mate. How you doing? You good? Yeah, fine, thank you. Oh, he's on holiday. I didn't, you know, when he said he was off to, are we allowed to disclose his location? I was like, oh, this is definitely some niche football trip. I mean, Jack is never quiet about what he does or where he goes. (laughs) Uh, He's in Zaragoza. So yes, you are allowed to say that. I, yeah, that does that does ring of niche football trip when I first saw it. It's like, oh, unique destination. But uh, no. He is definitely seeing some football when he's out there, but I think it is mostly just a holiday. It's quite a random... I mean, what's, what's in Zaragoza? Is it quite a nice cathedral from, from memory? Um, I, I don't know, but I can see there being a nice, a nice cathedral in Zaragoza. It's the kind of thing that, you know, would draw the tourists in. I mean, you just get a Google image Zaragoza and there's a very nice cathedral on the river. Oh, it looks a... Looks a little bit Moscow-y. Um, oh yeah, very pleasant. Okay, I can maybe see why he's uh, gone there. Anyway, that's where Jack is. Um, Peter, there are some rumours flying around on Twitter that the only reason that the Thursday club was moved to Friday is because you were on it after TC's winner <laughs> drinking Tyskies. So I just thought you might like to um, have a chance to put the record straight. Well, it's, it's a no comment, Sammy. Uh, very sensible Peter fair enough I am the AC12 and you're just going to no comment me throughout fair enough All right, let's do some three word reviews from Wednesday's match Coops you had a look through so what came through I did and as you can probably expect there there seems to be a a certain theme occurring with these three word reviews which Uh is beautiful to read so thanks so much to everyone who got in touch I've categorised them as I sometimes do so I'm going to go start with the the non-Tom Kearney ones and then I'm going to go into those and we can sort of revel in them a bit. So FFC Brandon kicks us off with another dinosaur gone. Then we got uh, <laughs> we got uh, Doug Bethune with boys versus men, which I think, uh, yeah, pretty much summarises it. Although Cardiff did considerably out, outsize us, if not um, outclass us. Yes. Um, Alistair Nimmo taking their mick, which I quite enjoyed. The 471, Toast in the Man. I thought he had a very good game um, on Wednesday. This is, you know, we have this recurring theme of, of uh, sort of takes on BDR's name. So this one really made me laugh by Lewis Jalapeno. Bobby couldn't flick it over his greed. Alluring <laughs> to that, that chance that he had where he tried to flick it over and it, it sort of went, it went begging. But anyway, now we're moving on to the Tom Kearney ones, which is what we want to hear. I'd S- forgotten about that one, by the way. It's just brought back some... Um... <laughs> <laughs> very angry memories from Wednesday. <laughs> so sandwich, yeah, ain't nobody like. Obviously, he's limited to three words there, but we all know what he's. Uh, we all know what he what he means with that, don't we? Kenny comes home from Pitter Power. Captain Kenny's cannon, Paul Bud, Patrick Brown with Kenny, believe it. A waiting change with Tom's tidy return. Howie Jewett, Kenny's cottage comeback. Captain, my captain. That was from David F. Tracy. Brett Rowlands with I'm not crying. Uh, 
obviously, uh, yeah, it could have been the rain, as, as Sammy said earlier. <laughs> Cody Gerrard with tears in rain, which I quite liked. And then we'll top it all off with Tom Cook's Kenny Kick It. Kenny Kickett, very, very nice. Well, uh, if you want to read all about Tom Kearney's impressive return, uh, you can get on The Athletic right now. Peter has penned a, a lovely piece all about our captain. He wasn't captain on Wednesday, but he is our captain. Um, and you can get that right now for 33% off the monthly subscription by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Um, Peter, we have to start with TC. It was nice to see him back on the bench for QPR. He then came off the bench against Cardiff on Wednesday for Harrison Reed, who picked up a knock. Hopefully that's nothing too serious, but I'm sure we'll uh, find out in due course whether it is. Yeah, he, he came on to a great reception on 45 minutes, Peter. But the noise when he scored at the Hammersmith end on the hour mark. Someone said on a Fulhamish tweet that it was probably one of the best noises made at the cottage since a doy in the playoff final. That's, that's a, that's a strong claim, but actually there was just a noticeable notch up in the decibelometer. How do you? Clapometer. The clapometer. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) When TC stuck that in from range. Yeah, it was, it was a lovely moment. Um, also, the way he scored the goal, I think that contributed to it. Just absolutely lashing at home, like lashing home every frustration he's had over the last 10 months in that, in that ball because it flew into the roof of the net. Um, lovely technique as well. As we all know that Tom Kenny's got a wonderful left foot and it was nice to quickly remind everyone of his of his quality in that way. And as you say, it's it's been such a long time. And I think what's been strange with this injury in particular is we've not really known... A, what exactly it is, and then also just when he would return. I mean, the amount of times there'd been, oh, he's going to tie this treatment this week, he's going to do this treatment this week, oh, he's been in training, he's not in training. It got to a point where where there wasn't, you know, a, a time frame, there wasn't a date. It, Marco Silva never put a date on it uh, when he came in. And it was like, and it actually got to a point where I think a lot of people probably thought, is he coming back at all? Will we see the same player um and and you know evidently that wasn't the case and he managed to get himself into a good position and after you know a, a sort of change in treatment um a little bit of a change of approach where they just took him out and said all right this is you're gonna we're gonna fix this before before you come back um to make sure you're playing at your best level and um it was lovely to see him back um good to see him get 45 minutes as well and he, it was one of those things. I think when he came on, I don't know what you guys think, but when he came on, I, he dropped into that midfield left position. He went quite deep. I thought he looked quite cautious. It looked nervous. Um, obviously, it was pissing with rain, which is not ideal TC weather. Um, but but um, it just it just came to life after he scored. I, I mean, after he scored, he was back in that hole. He was, he was progressing play. I mean, towards the end of the game, there was a passage just in front of where we were in, in the Johnny Haynes and he's playing one twos with Seri and it's it was all very very nice and uh, it was a really good moment not just for him because obviously it's that confidence boost it's, it's that release also for Fulham in the game because it was getting to a point where things were starting to drift a little bit I thought and it needed that injection of quality and he provided it. Um, Peter do you have a corrections article in The Athletic like they do in uh, kind of some broadsheet papers? Uh, generally no, but it depends what, what the correction is. I feel you're leading to something here. I, I can't say that's a, a half volley. That is not a half volley from it Tom Kenny. It was a Ken. half volley. No. It, it bounced up and he volleyed it. No, it's not a half volley. I'll have to, I'll have to speak to Adam Murray about this. It's not a, it's not a half volley. It's, I would have, he, I would have he, called it a half volley, to be honest. No, it's, it's got, you have to, it has to just bat for a half volley. It has to bounce and then you have to kind of hit it on the on the just on the way back up and it was on the way down it's the only thing i mean look peter i i love your writing and this is not a slight i just had to (laughs) i just had to query the half folly um but that also you refer that passage of play in front of the johnny haynes sorry this isn't another correction peter i was just going to say that was absolutely majestic i was sitting right by it and it had kind of uh, you won't remember this, but a few years ago, Norwich City vibes, where we just started doing really, really short passes, like on the halfway line towards the touchline. And it, and uh, I never forget James Madison got fully wound up by it, and <laughs> it, it brought back flashbacks to to that beautiful memory. Um, George, let's go back to the start of the game, and 
It was a frustrating opening half, I thought. I felt like Fulham had a lot of shots, not very many on target. But Cardiff also had their chances. Kiefer Moore kind of hit the upright between post and bar. And and I thought they were reasonably impressive in possession, Cardiff, and, and just maybe lacked a bit of confidence. And that was potentially the only thing that stopped them taking the lead. I thought that Fulham throughout the game... We we didn't get lucky, but I felt like there were moments where maybe a better team would have picked us off because I thought we were a bit lackadaisical. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, looking at the game as a whole, we we were the best team by two quality finishes. And aside those two strikes, our finishing was left a lot to be desired, I thought. I thought our final ball was, was very poor. Obviously, the conditions didn't help with that. I thought that Cardiff had quite a high press and intercepted quite a lot of our... Um, our essentially, the, we were trying to find the, the wide men. We had Wilson and BDR sort of interchangeable at 10 and right wing. And they they weren't the balls weren't always finding them and it was a bit sort of frustrating. I thought, yeah, we came out really, really out of the blocks. We had some good chances, but I mean, generally speaking, the game I thought didn't have that much quality. I thought Cardiff obviously were were, were very agricultural as we as we come to expect from a from a Mick McCarthy team. But that's not to say that we didn't give them opportunities to get back in the game. Their finishing was at bar the uh, bar when Moore hit the post and a few other good chance and a few other chances. They got themselves in some, some attacking positions. And you think if the fortunes were flipped and they had their finishing boots on, this this could be a very very different game. It's weird because on face level this looks like it was a, a routine sort of comfortable victory when it could have been it could have been very very different in my opinion. Yeah, Peter, I feel like Tom Kenny's goal was exactly what was needed because I felt like there wasn't going to be a huge amount of other opportunities for Fulham to take the lead the way we were playing. And the longer and longer that went on at nil-nil, with Cardiff probably smelling, oh, okay, this could be actually an opportunity for us. It could have got really ugly, but it hasn't, so we'll gloss over it. But I I felt like it wasn't 100% plain sailing on Wednesday night. No, definitely not. Um, and for a team whose manager is under threat, I mean, the way they rallied, particularly at, at 2-0, it, it didn't give the impression that, you know, that McCarthy had lost the team. They certainly didn't fold. Um, and and as, as Coots was saying, like, it, the game sort of fell into the into their sort of pattern, into the way they, they wanted to play it. I felt Fulham weren't inventive enough with the ball, particularly off the ball. The amount of times that you'd have Tim Ream carrying the ball into, into midfield, or, or toss, tossing, carrying the ball into midfield or, or, or retaking it forward. And there just wasn't the movement in front of him that could unpick what became quite a, a stubborn bank of four, wasn't it? I think they went with a four and four and five. And it, it was very congested in there. And, and I don't think Fulham did enough to to move and and probe. And, and, and we didn't see Robinson overlapping that much. We didn't see Adoy overlapping that much. And part of that was due to the way Cardiff set up and, and credit goes to them. But I think, as you say, Without that injection of quality from Kearney, this game could have gone in a different direction. Um, I mean, the, Cardiff had some good chances. Uh, I didn't think Fulham dealt with their long balls very well. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the second balls as well in midfield, I guess that's a part, partly due to physicality and just their size, just nudging people off the ball. Um, that was quite discouraging. And in particular, uh, Robbie Colwell on, on the left wing. Um, was a real threat. I mean, he they they targeted him. I mean, there were a few times where Kiefer Moore would drift into that sort of fullback area um, and just go for Dennis Adoy a little bit. And, you know, that was a real vulnerability. And, you know, De- Dennis has done very, very well, but it was, I mean, Cardiff had a player of, of quality in that position. And, and as we've seen in, in, in other games as well, I think Chris Willock did a similar thing for QPR at the weekend. Um, they're trying to probe down that that side, and it, it was causing problems. Um, Moore was a handful. I think Tosin had a good grip of him, but when it went with Tim Ream, Tim Ream didn't quite have the height to deal with him. Um, so, to be honest, you know, especially with those chances late on, I mean, I'm so surprised they didn't score. I mean, Rodak made a brilliant save after Ream made a block. Um, I think there was another scramble in the in the six yard box, and I mean, it felt like the game was done, but it it really really wasn't. Um, and, and yeah, as you say, it was just that bit of quality that, that made the difference. And a little bit of poor finishing. I mean, Peter, it's actually been seven league games without keeping a clean sheet. You have to go back to late August, that clean sheet against Stoke in the 3-0 win. It's only our third clean sheet in 13 in the league as well. We've kept some clean sheets in the League Cup, but let's stick to the league here. 
probably one of the games actually where I think we least deserved a clean sheet. There's been a few matches in there where definitely teams didn't warrant scoring a goal, but managed to. So that will please Marco Silva, even if it was a little bit hook or by crook. We do need more clean sheets because we've thrown away silly points this season. Just oft- It's often just one goal we concede, but you know that's cost us points on several occasions in the last month or so. No, you're right. And I, I think a lot of the times that Fulham have conceded, they've generally been some high quality goals. Um, when you think of Reading, um, Swansea's goals, um, maybe QPR's even to an extent. I mean, Willick did have a lot of space in that sort of area and between the midfield and defence, which is not always an encouraging thing. But in general, there have been some high quality finishes. It's when you start conceding those that there are sloppy when we think to Coventry in the second half of the way Fulham was sort of carved apart. Um, that's where it caused problems. And you, you do get a sense that, yeah, uh, defensively things aren't completely sound. I don't I don't feel like Fulham are controlling games um, from start to finish where there's no, you know, get them by the chokehold and keep them there for 90 minutes. But Fulham don't seem to do that. Partly that's because of the fact they commit players forward and it leaves a little bit more open game. And then you're reliant on taking your chances and, they did that on Wednesday night. Uh, they did that on Saturday. And when they do, it's it's great. I mean, some of the scorelines they're racking up are very, very impressive. So I guess it is finding, as Silver always uses this word, balance. Um, I think they really, I think there is definitely a case to say they need to adjust it because as you're right to say that I wouldn't have said that would have been a clean sheet game. Yeah. And and George, I guess we just have to gloss over these days that Mitrovic scored. It's not a big deal. He scores every game. Um, it's just another goal, just another goal for a good striker. What else can you say? I mean, it was sloppy from Cardiff. They were, they were livid with each other after that. They were all shouting at each other in all directions. Um, they must have been so annoyed to put up the kind of brave defence that they did for an hour. And then it's one of those goals, like you can see it in five a side and you're just like, come on, lads. That was just so really stupid. Um, Mitrovic tucked it away 13 in 13 yeah he's on course to well, get 46 goals or something this, this year which is <laughs> mental uh, and yeah I think credit needs to be given to um, Harry Wilson here because he he was the one who forced the won the ball back forced the error from the from the Cardiff back four laid it into BDR I believe who then got the assist we don't need to talk about how good Mitra is as you say he's, he's still a cheat code in this uh, season as you say Sammy but yeah at the Harry Wilson press I thought was basically what, what earned us the goal. And there, there are a few critics of Harry Wilson. It's weird because he's, he had a very polarising performance, I think. Half the people thought he had a blinding game. He got put in the uh, in the Championship Team of the Week. And then half the people thought he was sort of a bit a bit bang average. But what he did do well on Wednesday was that press and put people under pressure and, you know, ultimately earned us that goal by, by dispossessing um, their, their defender. But uh, yeah, I thought it was um, it was just a terrible, terrible time for, for Cardiff to concede, a fantastic time for us to score. Who better to uh, to put us 2-0 up than, than Mitrovic, our, our man? It's just his goals and assists have dried up, I think, with, with Wilson, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I'm in the camp that he had a very good game yesterday. I think there are a few opportunities where he's just missed, I think he's scuffed it a few times. You know, he's just not got his feet right. There was one over the top that he missed. There was one other one that was in the box that he just sort of didn't connect properly. There were a few shots that went wide. and But everything else he was doing was really encouraging. And to be honest, if, you, if you're looking for things that to take for the rest of the season, the fact that his off-the-ball stuff was very, very good, as you say, led to the second goal. He's getting into really good positions. Was a threat all game. Was a real problem. I mean, the amount of times I think Marlon Pack would, would clipped in was, was ridiculous. So I think in... In that sense, it's not too much to worry about. I think it's only a problem if if you know Fulham aren't scoring and he's missing all the chances. And but if you're not if you're not on it in front of goal, you've got to do the rest. And I think that's that's that that was encouraging from 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 Harry Wilson. Um, Peter, I'm just looking at the comments on your article on the Athletic um, about Tom Kearney's return, and some of these comments really just reflect going back to the moment that I know we discussed just how bigger moment that was, I think, for so many people connected to Fulham. Bill M says, one of my all-time favourite moments in sport, and I'm not young, so happy for TC and hope he can stay healthy, enjoy his football and resume his role at the heart of FFC. Jerry says, TC is simply a legend. That left boot needs to be put in a museum. Adam says, not sure I've ever felt so much joy for someone scoring as I felt when TC smashed that in. You could see how much it meant to him, but also to the fans. Rare to see so much love for a player. These days, but he really is one of us. 
TC has been at Fulham now since 2015, if I'm not mistaken, when he came in, he came in kind of during the, the dark days really in the championship. <laughs> um, he has just epitomized what it is to be a Fulham fan in the past six years. And, and that connection now is quite rare. And given TC's age, given his injury record, I don't see too many clubs clamoring after him. I'm sure there wouldn't be a shortage of takers if Fulham absolutely wanted to get rid of him for cheap, but you could see TC maybe doing a few more years at Fulham and just fully kind of getting that cult status here, maybe even get kind of towards testimonial levels if he, if he even played a few more years. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, he's still got a few years left on his contract, hasn't he? I think it's 2024. So, um, it's as you say, Sammy. I mean, he has that bond. He has that connection. Um, I spoke to him last season, did an interview with him, and he, you know, he described Fulham as being his home. You know, he loves the area. He loves coming into training every day. Um, and you, you know, you get this sense that for him, this is this is where he wants to be. And you could even say the same maybe for Mitrovic um, now. Um, probably a bit more fluid in terms of his sort of career direction, considering he's in the middle of his prime. But what he was saying after he signed a new contract, you know, these are players that have been here a while. Obviously, TC's been here for a lot longer. Um, that really do feel settled and and feel that they're at home in 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 West London and 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 you know for 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 Fulham fans, I guess, and, and to be honest, and for him, when you get a moment like that, they are really rare. You know, to to have a player who's captain, who is so, so much enraptured within the club, um, who has everyone has sort of taken to, to go through that, to some kind of adversity and then come back and then score so quickly. You, you don't, it's so rare. It's, it's one of those things that sport can only throw up, but it is a really quite unique and, and special moment. And you just like, it's hard. Like when that ball went in the back of the net, you'd, you'd be a hard pressed person even in your way and not to be like smiling at what that actually meant. And you can feel it and you can hear it and you can see it. And, um, and, you, and as, as we were talking about, you know, you can tell from his reaction himself, the, you know, the tears in his eyes and whatever. And, um, it, it was, it, and the subs as well, like the subs, just everyone went absolutely crazy. Um, it's, yeah, it's the perfect moment. A beautiful poetry to what you said earlier, Peter, when you were like every frustration, every frustration of the last few months that Tom Kearney's had off the field with his persistent injury problems just were channeled into that ball, getting absolutely leathered. <laughs> the back. Like, there was a there was a, um, a a video that was shared on on the WhatsApp group of it's his goal in slow motion. Just seeing it, it was just it was beautiful, and watching the rain sort of like ricochet off the net as it goes top bins it was uh yeah it was it was the one of the best moments we've had at the cottage for a, for a long long time it is um is irony the right word i'm not sure but uh after we did the podcast talking about the craven cottage atmosphere actually that we've had two of the better atmospheres that i remember at the cottage in in quite a while obviously qpr was brilliant and then last night against cardiff um i mean uh I just think TC's goal lifted the roof off the old place to, to coin a Peter Drury uh, phrase. But yeah, the atmosphere uh, in two games in a row has been fantastic and, uh, and long may it continue. Although I'm, I'm upset that the flag's only got one game. Surely we can, uh, <laughs> surely we can just get the flags out every game. I don't know why it has to be that the club has to be within a five mile radius for the flags to uh, to get wheeled out. Just before we finish, Peter, you wanted to talk about the main man, John McElserry. I love that video that's going around on Twitter of him uh, tapping the badge whilst the Hammersmith end sings. Um, We've got Sari. The 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 comeback levels here. I mean, we're talking about another comeback with TC, but. Seri, each game that goes past, I just get more and more um, in awe of the man. I, I just, the redemption hit story here just continues to amaze me every single game. It's one hell of an arc, isn't it? I mean, it's just ridiculous, to be honest. Um, that video is lovely as well with him going to, to the away. He, he seems genuinely touched by the song, like genuinely affected by it and appreciative. And you, you see the way he's always bowing, thanking and praying and because it's such a great song. It just fits perfectly. Um, and, and just in terms of his performance, again, like he's, at, he's such a joy to watch at times, um, particularly in that midfield area. The amount of times where, not always those lovely like line-breaking passes that set someone through on goal, 
um, which which she which she did countless countless times against QPR. Did again against Cardiff, but also just the small ones, just the small ones in midfield where he's he's basically face facing the wrong way. He's, he's got his back to goal, and then suddenly he's turned the ball around the corner, and Harrison Reed is away in something like forty yards of space, which you didn't quite see coming, or the one touch passes that he's able to move across. When Fulham do have the ball, when they are dictating, and it's him at the, basically at the base of midfield, just under his spell, essentially, um, it's it is really enjoyable to watch. You can tell that he's got quality that's above this level. But what Silver's been able to do, bring him back in, get him involved, and and to be honest, you can't underestimate how much of an impact that fan support has probably had because it's been quite consistent since he's come into the team, um, and it, he's he's now in a position where he's probably too good for the division. He's running things in central midfield. And when he's at his best, because there is that defensive side, and when Fulham are open, you do wonder a little bit. But even then, I've been mildly surprised at how well he's done in terms of mopping up play, in terms of making those interceptions. And um, it's, uh, it's all of, I think all you can say is just a bit of a pleasure to watch him at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting what we do without Harrison Reed. We're going to touch him on the next part um, in more detail. But do you think there is a future for this TC-Seri combination that we saw on Wednesday? I felt like it it works nicely in the second half against Cardiff. It's a side that doesn't have a huge amount of quality in the, in the centre of midfield. But I would worry... In tougher matches, let's say, well, Forest is a tough match on Sunday, West Brom going ahead on Saturday, that there's not enough bite in that midfield pairing of, of Seri and Kearney. And obviously, famously, Seri and Kearney didn't play very well in the Premier League. They try and kind of do the same job. Yeah, it's one of those combinations. I think I've got a question about that in one of our athletic discussions. And it's one of those things that could be brilliant or disastrous. Um, I think in the way Silver wants his midfield to play, you need a runner going beyond Mitrovic. The amount of times you see Mitrovic dropping deeper now to try and link the play and, and moving into spaces that allows others to go beyond him, it's quite important that someone in midfield is doing that running. And you don't necessarily get that with Tom Kearney. You certainly don't get that with Serie in the six. And they're both a bit more static, I'd call that, uh, playmakers. Very good at what they do, but they're very specific in what they do. And um, if you've got both of them, the, the third midfielder is going to have to do a lot of hard yards, but then at the same time, it could be a third midfielder trying to go beyond them as well. So maybe it will depend on opposition. I, I don't think it can't work, certainly at this level. I think in some games where Fulham are expected to unpick a, a stubborn defence, having those two making triangles in the midfield, is, um, is that, that, that would be something to behold, to be honest. So maybe I, it, it, it's, a difficult, it's difficult to get the balance right in midfield, I think, with both. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe there is a way to do it, and, and maybe there's more to to be to be taken from 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 Kearney's game as well. Um, but on the face of it, it doesn't seem that way. But we will see. Worked worked second half on uh, on Wednesday night. Indeed, indeed. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we've got some questions, and we're going to chat about Harrison Reed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler and George Cooper. Let's chat about Harrison Reed then, Peter. You released uh, a piece on him in The Athletic earlier this week, as I mentioned earlier in the pod. 
If you're not signed up to The Athletic already, then what are you doing? Theathletic.com forward slash Fulham Pod, 33% off your regular subscription. Uh, you get all of Pizza's great pieces. You get the Fulhamish podcast advert free. And of course, you get the rest of The Athletic, um, which is fantastic coverage on all football. Anything from the Premier League, European football, women's football. Uh, and there's even um, more sports, uh, particularly if you're into your American sports as well, that comes with it. Um, so yes, Harrison Reed. Uh, you talked about uh, how he's played this season. It was a slow start for Harrison Reed. He obviously started the campaign injured. He's then had to come into a side where suddenly we had John McElserry, who is in the six and Harrison Reed was mostly our six last season. So he's had to slightly adapt his game because suddenly this player that was just lurking um, in one of the changing rooms at Fulham turns out to be very, very good. And Harrison Reed now needs to slightly adapt his game to be able to play with him. Um, and for the most part, he's done it fantastically. I, I guess you slightly gave him the curse, Peter, that as soon as you wrote the piece, he then picked up an injury before half time. You must have been there in the press box going like, no, um, <laughs> as were your words, to be fair. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a brilliant piece just about how Harrison's um, really redeveloped his game over the summer and the first 13 matches of the season. Yeah, no, it's um, definitely a curse. I mean, it's just not what you want, really. Uh, to be honest, I, one of the things that we touch on the piece is how that he's getting more touches in the opposition area and he's getting forward more. So as an eight, playing more advanced. Two years ago in the championship, he got about, I think it was seven touches in the opposition penalty area. And um, he's already on about five um, this year. So it kind of underlines the changes after, what, about four starts. So... Um, and one of the things he wants to do is add more goals, more assists, of course. Um, and in the, in the first 45 minutes against Card, I think he had two or three attempts on goal. And I was like, right, he's going to score here. It's going to come after the piece. I can reshare the piece. Perfect. He's, he wants to get goals in his game. And then obviously he picks up a calf injury. Um, I'm not sure how serious it is. Um, Silver wasn't immediately sure. He said it was a pain in a general area as opposed to a specific point, which suggests it's not necessarily a pull. I think, I think that's how you interpret that description. But um, we'll find out later on um, today in his press if there's any update but no it's it's he's he's had to change things as you said Sammy because because of Sari coming in in that sixth position um, he, he spoke about so I, I caught up with him in the summer and he, he discussed in an interview that he doesn't want to just be that number six he's good at sweeping play up and mopping things up and and, and doing just the hard yards he, he wanted to show that there is a little bit more to his game he, he had a played a more wide-ranging midfield role when he was in his youth days at Southampton. Um, and he came in and, and Silva basically said the same same thing to him. Um, he obviously was injured for all the pre-season, so it took a long time for him to, to come into the team. Uh, and it was only, you know, I think QPR was his third straight start. Cardiff was his fourth. That's his fourth 90 minutes. His first 90 was against Swansea. So it's it's taken a bit of time for him to get into that midfield fold with, with the competition that there is and, and also just in case of getting up to speed. Um, and what he has done, I think, is adapted quite well. Now, I think, of course, he wants to have more goals and assists. I think his first assist was actually against UPR on the weekend. So that's a positive. But it's one of those those areas he's, he wants to build on. But in terms of his running, his movement, you can see, I mean, we're, we're seeing Harrison Reed chasing the ball down when it goes back to the keeper, which we're not used to at all. Um, so it, it's, 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 certainly, it's certainly an interesting one. And I actually think there is a lot of value in having his energy in those sort of advanced eight position and how he's able to go after players in that, in that role and um and yeah for him I guess it's a question of adapting to what it's like to receive the ball in the penalty area and have to strike it <laughs> um yeah. he said he said he's he spoke to Mitrich about getting some tips on on trying to take those chances and uh, once one goes in a few more will follow but he hasn't scored for Fulham yet so that, that's got to be up there with his uh, challenge I remember that game against Everton where he was quite clearly man of the match and he played so well he he kind of I feel like in that game, maybe found within himself that actually I'm not just a sweeper in front of the defence, the, the, the little terrier that everyone thinks I am. In that game, I think he showed that he has the quality to do those driving runs and the quality to shoot. And well, he didn't score in that game. He actually assisted one, didn't he? I think um, uh, who was in the goal for Everton? Robles? Don't know. Um, Pickford? 
probably Pickford, yeah, I think. Pickford saved it and then it fell to Josh Madger, uh, who's who scored. And and I think it was in that game where I was like, okay, Harrison Reed is not just a, a sweeper that runs in front of the defence. And yeah, as you say, he had a couple of shots on Wednesday and I, and I do think that he has the potential to add a goal to his game. I mean, the way that we're playing this season, Peter, the fact that we're on 29 goals, we're still on course to score more than 100 if we carried on scoring at the rate that we are. I do wonder if they could get to a point where he actually try and see a goal for every player on the pitch. Um, we've got a way to go, but you know, like players like a has got one. Anthony Robinson's now got one. We maybe need Tosin and Ream to start chipping in from a corner or two. And then players like Harrison Reed, and then, then we'll finally get to the magic mark of all, well, at least 10 outfield players. I think if Rodak starts scoring, then we truly are <laughs> taking the mick. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's been brilliant to see him come back in. And yeah, it's a fantastic piece um, just discussing uh, the way that he he's uh, rebuilt his his style and and how he's looking forward to trying to settle himself in a Premier League team because he is one of those players, Peter, that I look in this Fulham team and think, you are Premier League quality. If we go up, you 100% start in that first game back in the top flight. Yeah, he was one of the most consistent performers last year, wasn't he? And um, I think he benefited from working under Scott Parker in particular in that role as a six, because of obviously Parker's playing days. Um, that translated quite well. Um, but then, but then, then, as you say, there were those moments where you thought, he can, he can step up, he can, he can offer more uh, further up the field. And um, we're starting to see that now. I think it's, it's worth noting, like he's, He's the kind of character you sort of you do sort of want, I think. I mean, what Silver sort of spoke about um, with Reed was, you know, even though he was injured, even though he was not really in the picture, he was still really desperate to try and impress his his new manager, as as, as anyone would. But um, he would be there, he'd be asking questions, trying to learn about what the, what what would be desired, what would be wanted from him once he he does get back into the fold and. And that that's that's a really encouraging thing. You want you want those sort of players um, within the team. And as you say, he was one of those in the summer where I think there were some concerns that maybe he could be picked up. I think maybe in a stronger transfer market that that would have been a much greater risk. But you know he's clearly doing very well when he has played. He's shown he can do it at Premier League level. And like most within the squad, will want to get back there as, as soon as possible. He is twenty six, so he is entering pretty much his prime now. He's one of those who's had a lot of loans, taken a little bit longer to get to the level where he probably thinks he should be playing. Um, and he'll, he'll want to maximise his time at that point, you'd think. And he must look at the likes of Calvin Phillips and maybe Declan Rice to a point and think that the kind of defensive mid options in the England side are not at such a level where it is unattainable for him to maybe start getting a, a squad place. Look, he has to get to the Premier League first. He has to establish himself in the Premier League. There's a quite a few hoops to go through before I think he even starts thinking about England. But you mu he must look at a player like Calvin Phillips, who two seasons ago was playing in the Championship. This summer was a, a key cog in, in an England team in that, in that kind of six with Declan Rice. And, and think... It's not impossible. It's really, really difficult. There's a long way to go, but actually that must give him some encouragement because that particular position for England is not rammed full of quality. If you if you're trying to get into the England side at right back, I would say, yeah, you haven't got much of a chance. But defensive mid is maybe one of those areas where we're not blessed with a plethora of options. But, you know, there's some also some good players that aren't getting into this side. You look at like Conor Gallagher, etc. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there are some good central midfielders in in that England setup or in the England picture, and I think someone like um, Calvin Phillips or even the Leeds players really have just shown that that transition from Championship to Premier League. If you are playing at that level, it's not immediately a, a cut off point, and if you can get into Premier League and be consistent at that point, then then maybe you can look at that. I think it. Would, I mean, he, he was in the same youth team as James Ward Prowse, so if you can get into the same sort of even close to that. England involvement that would be a, a big step for him so um, lots lots more hoops to go through I think uh, as you said Sammy before we get to that point but um, adding more strings to his bow can only sort of help help him going forward I think. Peter one more question before we preview the Forest game uh, we got this question he asked to remain anonymous it'll become quite evident why in a second he said has anyone 
pushed or asked the club what percentage of players and staff have received the COVID-19 vaccine? If not, should they be pushed more? Um, I, I sent you this question uh, about a week ago, knowing that it would give you a chance to ask the club. I think people would be reasonably interested. There's been a lot of coverage in the past few weeks about, well, first of all, it was quite a low percentage of Premier League players that have agreed to take the vaccine. Um, the Premier League came out this week and actually said that it's now uh, 68% of players that have had both jabs. And I believe 81% of players that have had a single jab, which is a much better place than it was even maybe, let's say a month ago, where there did seem like an awful lot of hesitancy uh, within the footballing community. Um, but we didn't have any specifics on it from Fulham. Um, so I know you asked the question, what did they say? Yeah, it, it came off the back of um, obviously Fabio Carvalho's um, Marco Silva confirmed that he has COVID-19. So it was worth checking in on on what the sort of vaccination status were within the club because it is is a topical point. These, these guys are front and centre and what they do does have an impact. Um Silver wouldn't give any percentage on it um, other than to say that the numbers were, were changing all the time because some had initial doubts. I think he, he also mentioned that um, some felt to be vaccinated because they had had it. Um, but in, yeah, so I mean, the, the only thing he sort of elaborated on was the fact that they, uh, that they're advising the players to, to get vaccinated, not just for themselves um, for obvious reasons, but um, for, for the staff and the other staff inside the club too. Um, to get to that point, but it's ultimately their their call. I mean, me personally, I don't see any reason why somebody shouldn't be getting vaccinated. Um, it's up to them what they what they want to do. But um, even the Premier League numbers for me were, were were strikingly quite low. I think you look in the United States, some of the numbers they have for within their sports of, of uptake, where they've been a bit stricter in terms of making sure people take it. Um, they're, they're far far higher. So. Yeah, um, I think that's probably what we'll get out of because it's, it is quite a confidential thing, um, anything to do with, with, with medicine uh, in that way. But um, but yeah, that's the sort of situation with, with Fulham. Um, it says it's changing, it's improving. Um, but um, yeah, I didn't get the impression that everyone is now. Yeah, definitely. And uh, well done for asking the question. Very, very interesting to hear what Marco Silva had to say on it. And the second part of the question was, should they be pushed more? Look, it's a controversial topic, but ultimately the vaccine has been scientifically proven to be very good, very effective, very safe. And given the club went through such turmoil at the beginning of this year, I'm surprised that the take up isn't higher. I just think that players should be given all of the evidence very, very clearly and advised in the strongest terms that this is not only good for society, but good for them and that the negatives are massively outweighed by the positives. No one should be forced to take anything. It always has to be personal choice. But I do think that they should be encouraged in the strongest terms to go and and, and get the jab. And, and what they've done in the States is maybe something that I don't think would work as well over here, although I'm surprised to see it work over there, given the way that there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy in, in the US, that the way that the NBA has dealt with it seems to be very, very effective, where they have said to players, look, it is, it is your choice, but if you don't take the vaccine, your life is going to be a lot more difficult. You're going to have to be tested very, very regularly. You may not be able to travel. And that does seem to have coerced a lot of hesitant players to go out and get the vaccine and, and they are role models and they do operate on a slightly different pedestal to the rest of society. But look, there is a lot more expertise than myself out there, but that's my personal opinion on, on whether they should be pushed more. I think it has to be encouraged, but ultimately it is personal choice when it's a medical decision like that. Right. We'll take another break and then afterwards we'll look ahead to Sunday's trip to Nottingham Forest. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Peter and George. Let's look ahead then to Nottingham Forest on Sunday, interestingly, Sunday, 3pm. Uh, do you know the reason, Peter, why this got moved to Sunday? It's quite a niche one, isn't it? <laughs> Literally just Googled it. <laughs> uh, uh, let me see if I can find something. Uh, I do know the answer if you want it. Is it to do with county? Yeah. It is to do with yeah. Notts County. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Notts County play on the Saturday. So Forrest had to get moved to the Sunday. Another point, by the way, here, the whole transport situation on Wednesday was bloody ridiculous. 
Like, I just can't quite understand that that got allowed to happen. It didn't help with pissing it down with rain as well. So uh, if, if you weren't at the game or you don't live in the UK or you don't care, um, Chelsea played at the same night as Fulham. And that has never happened as long as I've supported the club. I'm sure it did back in the day. You know, I'm sure there were people that went and watched matches at both and 80,000 pilgrimaged across or whatever <laughs> in the modern day that doesn't happen um putney bridge tube station was closed at nine o'clock so the closest so, tube station to fulham wasn't allowed to be used effectively which gave chelsea fans the priority on the district line meant that fulham fans had to walk all the way up to hammersmith again in the pissing rain or go to somewhere like Parsons Green or up to Fulham Broadway itself or Putney Rail Station. Um, just a totally ridiculous situation. I drove up to Putney to go to the game and the traffic was an absolute nightmare. Um, why the game for Fulham couldn't be moved to Thursday, given that we were already playing on Sunday, I can't fathom. Anyway, Fulham are playing on Sunday because Notts uh, Notts County are playing on the Saturday. I'd say that that's a bit of a flex, isn't it, from County? Now, County, we're at home, so you know, Forest, you got to move. You got to move. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's no staying put, lads. You're gonna have to work as well. Hey, County with that. County with their first. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's, that's the proper like older brother argument. We got the national league dictating to the championship. It's um, it's quite good. Regardless of uh, of league status, County were there first, so maybe they get the the priority. <laughs> um, yeah, Forest on Sunday, Peter, and I really wish we'd have played Forest uh, a month ago because they are in some uh, startling form uh, since Steve Cooper took the job. Yeah, completely new team now. Um, I think they got one point in seven under Chris Hutton. It was just sort of labouring on, wasn't it, from from the back end of last year? And um, they've brought in Cooper and sixteen points from eighteen now. I think after the win at Bristol City, which is pretty extraordinary. I mean, it's not like they've had a mass change in personnel either. It's pretty much the same players, just playing in a new system and just a different atmosphere there at the club. Um, uh, I'm worried. Unfortunately, as we talked about this formation before, they're playing a three-four-one-two. So straight away, that'll be interesting to see how how Fulham deal with that. But um, you know, it's the same it's the same players. Um, Brent, he's got a real tune out of Brennan Johnson, who's a young player. He's done very well. He's now full cap for Wales. Um, gone to a back three with with McKenna, Figueredo, and Worrell. Um, <laughs> new lease of life. And as you say, Sammy, if would have been much much uh, more palatable trip if I think if this had been scheduled a, a month ago. But you know every good run's got to come to an end, and if a team's going to stop it, then you you would hope that it would be full of. I mean, coops the the scenes uh, in the uh, Ateo stand at Bristol City um, when Forest uh, one nil down for pretty much uh, the entire well not the entire game but certainly the entire second half looked like it was going to be a meek one nil win to Bristol. Then Lyle Taylor ninety ninety first minute penalty. Lyle Taylor ninety two minutes. If you haven't seen the uh, goal clip the, the the clip on twitter of forest fans celebrating it's unreal flares limbs everywhere i mean that is just one of those away games tuesday night long trip that uh, uh, dreams are made of yeah i mean i stagger thing what the odds you would have got on that going into <laughs> that last but i've got a, a lot of um my, my old housemate is a forest fan and um i, I know all of his pals are also forest fans so so quite a disproportionately large portion of my friendship group are forest fans which just doesn't make any sense but <laughs> they were i like on the group chat they was it was just going off i was like what has happened here because <laughs> considering the the rot that that was going through the core of that club not that long ago the turnaround has just been nothing short, but, you know, st- staggering. So I think it would be a good game. I really do think it would be a good game. And um, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed that I went, I'm, I'm not making it, but um, I, 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 it's, it's a tough one to call. It really is. It's, um, what do they call it? An unsupple force versus a, an in, immovable object. But we'll, we'll see what happens on, on Sunday. What's your, what's your call? Do you reckon we'll do them, Sammy, just out of interest? Um... I think you've got to be confident the way that we played, particularly against QPR. I think that Fulham suit playing a side that have kind of got their tails up because Forrest will be confident they will try and take the game to Fulham, which hopefully mm. will open up a bit of space, particularly in that wing back area, which, you know, as Peter mentioned, that three, four, one, two formation has been a blessing and a curse for Fulham. Sometimes we seem to play against that formation. It's like a knife through butter and occasionally. Fulham seem to be a bit unstuck 
particularly when managers change things up um, early in the in the second half. That's that's caught us out a few times. But I think ultimately you have to break down the squads and look at Fulham's squad versus Forest, and you can't ever not be confident. That being said, if you offered me a draw right now, I would probably be take it. Uh, you can't. Uh, it, uh, occasionally you have to go to games, see a difficult game. Think if you get a draw from that, it's not not too bad. I'd, would I love to go up to the city ground and, and get a nice comprehensive three 0 win? Yes. But I think <laughs> in the form Forrester in a, a draw wouldn't be too bad. I think he's a, a fantastic manager, Steve Koo. And it wasn't, that, didn't feel like that long ago that we were, we were linked with him really. But I yeah. mean, given Fulham's uh, managerial policy that we only seem to hire managers that look like they could be at home on the front cover of GQ. Sadly, I don't <laughs> think Steve Cooper's ever going to get a look in, but um, yeah, no, all, all, all credit to him. He's doing very well and should be a good game. It's a very good point. That's that's a new trend as well. It maybe didn't always used to be that way, but uh, yeah, definitely recently. Um, if you can't model a, a, a beautiful white jacket on a March afternoon in <laughs> Liverpool, then you don't then you don't get the job. Um, Peter, from a Fulham perspective, um, it's all about who's returning from injury. We had Kenny Tete back on the bench uh, against Cardiff. Obviously, Kenny's back in the side. Carvalho may be getting closer, although I reckon Forrest is too soon. Uh, Tesse though I wouldn't be surprised to see him get the start yeah no, it was a shame he didn't get any minutes uh, against Cardiff um, I think that's the one thing that we did mention with him is that well, he's ready to be involved now but he, he does need to build his fitness in the same way that, that Tom Kearney does and I think considering his his history with, with muscular injuries so far just even at Fulham as we've seen taking it carefully with, with Tete is probably a good way to go Um Steve Cooper li- likes to use wingbacks, Max Lowe and Jed Spence. Jed Spence, obviously, formerly of, of Fulham. Um, I've, been, I've been quite influential since they've come into the side and are playing in much more advanced ways. So what Fulham do at fullback will be important. Um, Joe Bryan and Ivan Cavallari didn't seem particularly long-term. Obviously, get an update today. Um, there's no injury for Domingos Kina. He was only left out due to a technical decision, Marcus Silva said. Um, Nathaniel Chalabar does have another injury though he picked up a knock to his calf against QPR which he then felt in training earlier in the week so it'll be interesting interesting to get an update on him as well uh, and obviously Harrison Reed. so there's, there are a few few question marks up in the air and that's all without mentioning Fabio Carvalho who should be, should be past his 10 day isolation for COVID-19 he's over his toe injury by all accounts so um, just depends on fitness, I suppose. I mean, that's probably the only plausible line, really, um, as to whether we'll see him back. But I mean, once you throw him into contention, you've got Tom Kearney in contention. It suddenly becomes quite interesting in that in that area of the pitch. Yeah, it does indeed. All right, well, we'll see what happens up at Forest on Sunday. Uh, and yeah, I think there's a good allocation of Fulham fans going. I think we've nearly sold all 2,000 tickets uh, for that game. So it should be a good atmosphere up in Nottingham on the weekend. Okay, all we need to do now is to name the podcast. So Coops, what would you like to go with? Cool. So we're going to go with Tom Cook's Kenny Kick It. It couldn't not be a Kenny related title could it absolutely not well done to tom thanks for naming the podcast today and we will be back uh recording on monday evening um so the pod should be out on tuesday with all of the forest reaction uh, and then the thursday club will be back presumably back with jack uh after his uh sunny exploits in Zalagotha, um and we'll be looking ahead to that massive West Brom game, uh, which is uh, a week on Saturday, which surely is going to be one of the games of the season in the championship so far. And hopefully uh, Fulham will come out on the right side of both matches. All that remains to do is say thank you to my guest, George Cooper. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. And Peter Rutzler, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend and fingers crossed Fulham can make it three in a row on Sunday. You whites. You whites.